You're listening to In the Studio with Michael Card. The session is made possible by our friends with the Christian Standard Bible. Learn about this new translation and the many ways you can enjoy the CSB. Explore online when you visit csbible.com. This is In the Studio with Michael Card. But I guess you knew that already because that's what you clicked on to listen to this podcast. Michael, I'm, I'm Wayne Shepard. I'm, I'm still getting used to this whole podcast world, I guess. Huh? Yeah, you're constantly adjusting, right? No more CDs. Now yes. we have memory sticks. Uh, and I feel like a little old man, you know. Uh, I just saw something on TV. They, they, they had a picture of an antique phone, and that was a phone with a dial. That's now an antique. <laughs> a rotary dial, yeah. Yes, yeah. right, right, right. Well, we'll wait yeah. till the uh, the touchstone uh, phone is an antique. That's, uh, oh, just a couple of old guys here, I guess. Yeah, so, but this yeah. is going to be fun today. We're going to hear you teach uh, as you did at the Cove in Asheville, North Carolina. Uh, and that's coming up in the second half of the program today. I, I get the impression you really enjoy going there to teach. It, it's one of my favorite places. I like to say it is everything that you would expect from the Graham organization. It's just a wonderful, it's a beautiful place in the first place up in the mountains. Uh, the staff there are incredible. They're all servant-hearted. Um, uh, Billy Graham's daughter Gigi there is most. Of the, she's there most of the time. I mean, now, uh-huh. you'll 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 go into the cafeteria and there's Gigi helping to clear the tables, you know, from dirty plates and things. Yeah. And you think, you know, uh, I was there once when a bear got in someone's car. Oh, no. And Will Graham was there, and Will chased the bear out of the car, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a cool place to go. Well, it's been a number of years since my wife and I were there, but do they still have the rocking chairs on the deck overlooking the mountains? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh boy. Yeah. Oh, boy. And, and there are these, uh, like, these little old ladies will greet you at the door, and it's like your mom, you know. It's just, it's a... The, the 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 maids who clean the rooms pray for you when they're like making the bed and and changing out that the room. That is terrific. Yeah, wow. it's it's an amazing place to go. Well, with that context, we're going to hear you yeah. teach at the Cove yeah. in the second half of our podcast here today with Michael Card. Don wrote to us and said, "So excited for the podcast! I save them for Sunday mornings before church walks with the dog. Great way to start the morning focused on the Lord." I wonder if the dog's listening to us as well. I was just thinking the same thing. <laughs> so now we gotta we gotta adjust our programming for the dogs. So like, yeah, uh, yeah. And let me just that. let me just quickly mention that our featured resource is the CSB Legacy Note Taking Bible. We'll have more to say about that as the program goes along. Here, we'll talk with Pastor Scott Sauls in a moment, talking about his book "Beautiful People Just Don't Happen." All that after Michael comes and sings the first song for us called "The Gentle Healer." The gentle healer came into our town today He touched blind eyes and their darkness left to stay And the one who had died just rose up straight away The gentle healer came into our town The gentle healer came into our town today He spoke one word, that was all he had to say And the one who had died just rose up straight away The gentle healer came into our town today Oh, he seems like just an ordinary man With dirty feet and rough but gentle hands But the words he says are hard to understand And yet he seems like just an ordinary man The gentle healer He left our town today I just looked around and found he'd gone away Some folks from town who'd followed him They say that the gentle healer is the truth, the life, the 
Mike, that may be the perfect song to lead into our next conversation here. We have Pastor Scott Sauls with us of Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville and the author of Beautiful People Don't Just Happen. Yeah, uh, Scott and I have just become friends uh, recently. We filmed something in in his office. He graciously let us use his office. And uh, I think we were at another event earlier. I met, I met you earlier at, at the Station Hill, well, some sort of a benefit uh, but Scott is giving leadership to a church that I used to go to years ago where Scotty Smith was pastor that we later mm-hmm. planted another church out of. And uh, it's, a real, it's a real privilege to have you on, Pastor Sauls. Thanks for uh, giving us some of your time. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. It's great being with you. I've uh, appreciated you from, for as long as I've been a Christian, which is, which is uh, you know, coming up on... Uh, uh, somewhere north of 30 years now. Wow. So it's uh, so fun to get to talk with you. Yeah. Wonderful. That's very cool. Well, tell us about this book, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen. Uh, ex- explain the title to me, first of all. Sure. Well, the the title actually is pulled from a quote uh, by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who's a, a grief expert. And you know, in that quote, uh, she she talks about how um, you know, the most remarkable people that she's ever met uh, are those who've known defeat and uh, disappointment and disorientation and trial and tribulation and have somehow emerged from those those circumstances. And she talks about how, um, you know, things like, uh, you know, qualities like compassion and empathy and the ability to show up meaningfully for other people uh, are formed through through those hard um, you know knocks of life, and uh, the last sentence of that that whole quote or excerpt from her is "Beautiful people did not just happen." And so the the book's title is taken from that. Uh, I think the subtitle probably uh, summarizes the book uh, more clearly, uh, and the subtitle is "How God Redeems Regret, Hurt, and Fear in the Making of Better Humans." And and so. So yeah, that's the that's the short story on the book. Well, I understand that you have been vulnerable in in writing the book as well because you you talk about your own battles with anxiety and depression. Is that true? That is true. I've I've uh, I've had my my fair share of of those battles over the years. Uh, you know, thankfully the current season is is not one of them, but but uh but yes, I'm familiar with grief and I'm familiar with all the pain points that I uh, that I address in the book, um, and it's it's while it's not a memoir, it's probably the most memoirish uh, mm-hmm. book I've written thus far, and the most personal. Well, don't don't you think that uh, those experiences uniquely qualify you? I mean, um, I think it's hard to, to be a pastor and understand uh, the suffering of other people if you haven't sort of redemptively worked through your own struggles. I think that's right, and you know, I I, I also think that um, you know, Americanness, uh, which is you know, sort of built on triumph and success, and you know, becoming as awesome as as you can, <laughs> contradicts uh, in many ways uh, the biblical uh, theology of suffering and the biblical theology of of grace and redemption, uh, you know, from things like regret, hurt, and fear, and how those, those realities form us. I mean, I, you know, the older I get, um, you know, the more body pains I experience and, and the more, um, you know, rapture and rupture, uh, I experience, uh, again, to quote our friend Scotty Smith, uh, there with that one, uh, the more I think that it's not just Bible reading, uh, that, and and prayer and the kind of the classic spiritual disciplines that that form us into the likeness of Christ, even though those are absolutely essential, as as your life and ministry, Mike would attest to, um, that you know you just you're, you're going to be significantly stunted if biblical illiteracy, uh, you know, becomes sort of the norm of your life, uh, right? So formation, you know, things like. Scripture and prayer and life in community with the Church of Jesus Christ are, are essential for formation. But I've also come to believe, and I think this is this has strong theological support as well, that formation 
deeply depends on experiences um, of distress and disappointment and anticlimactic, um, you know, seasons of life, uh, you know, in my case, anxiety and depression, uh, you know, guilt, shame, you know, all of these things are formative. Um, you know, even, even Jesus, the scriptures tell us was he learned obedience, uh, through the things that he suffered. And of course, Paul talks about this, uh, in second Corinthians 12 with the thorn in the flesh and, and how he discovered through that experience that it, you know when he's weak, then it, then the power of God rests on him, and he's at his strongest. Uh, Romans chapter five about how you know suffering produces perseverance, and then character, and then hope. Uh, Romans seven, you know, Paul bemoaning his his covetousness, and you know, calling himself a wretched man, and then Romans eight providing the solution to that. Um, you know, to that distress, uh, no condemnation, uh, no separation from the love of God. And then, of course, we've got Joseph, you know, what, what men meant for evil, God meant for good, and the saving of many lives. And so you could just go on and on, not to mention the fact that nearly every book of the Bible was written by somebody who was either in prison or, um, you know, in exile or uh, awaiting uh, their execution or, or something like that. And 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 so... You know, suffering alongside uh, the Holy Spirit's good work through Scripture and prayer and the body of Christ, uh, I think, is an essential part of how we grow up in Christ. I know it's a long answer, probably almost a full sermon, uh, <laughs> probably a full Anglican homily, actually. But, but, um, but yeah, my headspace is—that's where my headspace has been these days. That's very helpful. Well, we recently recorded a show uh, from uh, of Wayne in in the Ukraine. And uh, interviewing people who are going through tremendous suffering, it was amazing how in each situation, God redemptively, you know, used that suffering to uh, mm. to do his to do his thing. I mean, I know that's not a theological term, but um, <laughs> that that's that's what uniquely qualified Jesus, right? That he suffered, and um, I, I kind of wish it wasn't that way, but that's what God uses. God uses suffering to save the world. He does. You know, it's like uh, C.S. Lewis wrote uh, in Weight of Glory, he said, heaven will work backwards and turn agony into a glory. And I think that's, you know, for now at least, that's the pattern of the universe. Mm. Um, you know, death, burial, and resurrection. Mm. And in that suffering and in, uh, Mike, the word I think of is lament. We've talked about lament many times here with you. Mm. But in that lament, uh at, at the end, we know that Jesus is the healer, the gentle healer that you sang about a few moments ago. And we just read the passage in Hebrew with, with loud cries and tears, right? That's, uh, we keep seeing these things incarnate in Jesus' life, and that, that makes it real. Jesus is uniquely qualified. And I think that's really what this book is, is, uh, is all about, about pe- beautiful people don't just happen. They're shaped and uniquely qualified by suffering. Is that, am I close? Uh, nailed it. Uh, yeah. More than close. Yeah. Uh, center of the bullseye. Yeah. <laughs> well, Scott, what else do we need to know, and what, and how else can we come alongside people who are going through these these seasons, as you say, of regret and hurt and fear? What is our role? Well, I, you know, I think um, you know the mention of lament a moment ago is an important uh, aspect of 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 shepherding people and of allowing ourselves to be shepherded by the Lord. Um, you know, it, it, it shouldn't be lost on us that, you know, among what, you know, my friend Chip Dodd calls the seven core human emotions, only one of them, gladness, uh, is, is an emotion that we would associate with, you know, a positive or happy feeling. Uh, the other, the seven other core human emotions that he lists, uh, include guilt, shame, sadness, hurt, fear, anger, and loneliness. All of these are are associated with distress, uh, and uh, they're all uh, fully present in the Psalms, which are uh, our roadmap for how to connect with God and and to be fully human and uh, to you know in in many ways uh, seek to imitate. Uh, our forefather David, who Jesus would later refer to as a man after God's own heart, we, we see him 
filled with gladness every time he meditates on the attributes of God, and, and filled with guilt, shame, sadness, hurt, fear, anger, and loneliness as he, as he expresses and, and exhales to God his experience of life in a fallen world uh, and, and in a fallen body. Uh, and, and so, you know, I, I think we could stand to learn from, um, you know, these biblical models of, of lament. You know, Jesus wept. He was deeply moved in spirit. Uh, he got angry at, at the tomb of Lazarus, um, you know, infuriated at, at how death vandalizes the human condition and human flourishing. Um, so even in Jesus, we, we see all these distressed emotions being expressed. And so, so I think that's one thing, is to give each other permission, uh, and, and not only permission, but an invitation to, um, you know, you know, figure out how to lose our cool without losing our character, uh, because you know there there actually are very healthy versions of of and expressions of guilt, shame, sadness, hurt, fear, anger, and loneliness. Right? We we associate those as emotions we want to run away with, from. Uh, we associate them with you know people we don't want to be around. Uh, but there actually are healthy, redemptive expressions of all of those. Um, in the same way that there are both healthy and unhealthy expressions of gladness and and we want to lean into health you know with all of our wiring so so to to help people feel uh to to give people permission to feel because our our emotions are just as much a part of us as our as our bodies are um but then the other one i, I think we can learn a lot from job's job's you know what what we call miserable counselors you know they they did a great job initially they they started really well and finished really poorly um you know, they showed up and sat with Job and, and really didn't say anything. Um, you know, just their presence was was the was the power of their ministry until they started, you know, assessing and um, you know, playing God, uh, you know, acting as if, you know, they they knew what was going on in, in the invisible, you know, world behind Job and, and so I think just to be really reluctant to um to preach at people who are are experiencing distress or trauma and and be really quick to show up and try to empathize and trust the Holy Spirit to do his work in in, in his time. Um, and if we are going to open the scriptures, which is always a good idea to do it in a way with with, with a motive to to comfort um, you know we, we, uh, and, and less to um, put somebody in their Place, uh, I guess, uh, which which I think is a, a huge mistake mm-hmm. when, when you're faced with a with a person who's dealing with deep guilt or regret or hurt or fear or shame or anything like that. Yeah. So what you're saying is the the advice of Job's friends, you must have done something wrong or this wouldn't have happened to you, is probably not the way to go. <laughs> you think? Well, I mean, what what do we say about Jesus if 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 we're going to apply that cause and effect rationale to to everyone who's going through trial, we, we have to conclude that Jesus did something wrong. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure we want to go there. No. Um, you know, we'd have to conclude that 11 of the 12, actually all 12 of the the apostles were failures because they all they all died as martyrs except for John who died in a remote prison mm-hmm. uh, for his faith. And so, um, you know, it, it just doesn't add up. The man born blind, uh, it was neither his fault nor his parents' fault, but 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 that God might be glorified. And so I just think we need to be really careful um, about applying um, the principles of karma uh, to uh, Christian suffering. You know, karma is all about, you know, reaping what you sow being the law of the universe, um, you know, the immutable law of the universe, uh, mm-hmm. where God's always going to give you what, give you back what, what you give to him. And, you know, there's no room for grace in that equation, which means there's no room for Jesus in it. Mm. Well, we want to uh, thank you for giving us some uh, your time. I know as a pastor of a big and busy church, you probably don't have a lot of free time. <laughs> and, uh, and I want to thank you also, firstly, for writing this book. Um, beautiful people don't just happen. Well, it's my pleasure, Mike, and, um, you know, right back at you. Thank you for your—I've done a lot of writing, candidly, to— with your music in the background, and so <laughs> um, consider yourself uh, at least part of the inspiration. Great. Uh, 
We'll put information about Scott and his ministry and his book in our program notes at, at uh, michaelcard.com. So again, Scott, thank you so much. I'm going to ask Michael if you would set up this song for us, Live This Mystery. What's the connection? Well, it's about the mystery of faith and the fact that it's um, um, impregnated with suffering. secret of the one who dwells in me that there is truly a presence in the heart that will believe to listen to a silent call the quiet hunger to give it all as the river seeks to be forgotten in the sea so my soul is so thirsty it longs for thee like a moth around the flame drawn to the light and to the pain since my life is hid in thee i must live this mystery Christ can live in you. I hear the silence, it's clamoring. There is only Christ, He is everything. In the language of the soul, it's burning like a coal. There's a voice that is saying, You can be whole. A life where of timeless moments waits for you with a heart alone you see that you must live this mystery Michael, I thought we'd take just a moment and say thank you to our pastors who serve the church so well. We've received a couple of notes from pastors this week. Yeah, uh, this is from Jacob. Uh, He says, uh, Wayne, Joe, and Michael, thank you for refreshing my soul through the ministry God has given you with the podcast. I'm a pastor of a rural country church in Ona, West Virginia, and appreciate getting to ride along with you as I travel to church May God bless each of you, Jacob. Wow, that's sweet. I love to hear what people are doing as they listen. Yeah. It, it projects us uh, in talking with people more personally. It does. It? it does. Yeah, because yeah. it's hard to imagine. There's so many different situations of people walking their dogs or riding to church or. Right, yeah. right. Here's another pastor, uh, Pastor Matt, and he says, As a senior pastor in my 40s, I have wearied of the ever changing musical fads, but your music is as meaningful to me as ever. I've begun to explore the world of your books, too, and I love the way they're interweaved with the songs you've written over the years. It's amazing how often your songs come to mind as I'm reading and preparing for a sermon. Just recently, I was contemplating Know You in the Now while teaching people to have an active, fervent faith, and I'm currently preaching in Hebrews and looking forward to pointing people towards our soul anchor, he says. Yeah, he goes on to say, I also recently discovered your podcast, and it has made many a long drive in my car turn from a laborious journey to a time of enjoyable, thought-provoking spiritual encouragement. There's our commercial right there for the podcast. <laughs> In short, thank you for being a faithful servant and a dedicated theologian. Your willingness to use your musical talents for the kingdom has helped shape me for about 35 years, and it has greatly impacted mm. the way I minister to others. I pray you continue to write and sing as long as the Lord gives you a word and a breath 
Thankful to be serving the same God with you, Matt. Wow. I like that sign. Thankful, thankful to be serving the same God. Yeah. With you. How, uh, yeah. How much more encouraging could it possibly get? Thank you, Matt. Well, Mike, as you are helping to feed the souls of these listeners, what are you doing yourself in terms of feeding your own soul? Well, I think it's it's all the stuff that uh, that Bill Lane used to encourage us to do. You know, obviously, and first first of all, for me, it's time in the Word, um, listening to the Word. But it's also that that listening prayer time, that time of silence where you're not just listening to God's words; you're listening to Him speak to you. You know, personally. Uh, through the Spirit, right, and and again, you know, we just did a show earlier on Word and Deed. Um, I think I'm fed by, you know, then going out and, you know, doing those kind of small acts of obedience, washing feet, helping to encourage people, that sort of thing. I think it has sure. to be all those things that the Word is listening prayer, but then, um, you know, even even though some people might think of ministering as something that's tiring, it's not really tiring. For me, in fact, uh, I think it helps me to understand, in in one sense, what what God wants me to become. Yeah, yeah. be doers of the word. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. What what you just said, Wayne. <laughs> Thanks, Michael. We've come to the halfway point of this session. Help us get the word out about this gathering of like minds by sharing the link for this podcast. Stop by the Michael Card Music Facebook page and interact with other listeners. Or reach us directly where you can send your comments, song requests, or questions via email and write to us at inthestudio at michaelcard.com. Again, inthestudio at michaelcard.com. These conversations are just a start, and we want to invite you to go deeper. Check out more of Michael's insights through his books and music. Explore all that is waiting for you at michaelcard.com. Well, there's more teaching from Michael coming up as we pause for this message here in the studio with Michael Card. Here's Michael with his story about the CSB Legacy Note-Taking Bible. I'm so grateful for the godly people who shared their personal insights into God's Word with me. That's why I'm so excited about the Legacy Note-Taking Bible. As I read, I get to mark up and add notes on key passages in the Word. As a father, I've done this for all my kids, and now I've started doing it for my grandkids. Search for the CSB Legacy Note-Taking Bible at csbible.com. In this leather-bound edition, you can use the generous margin space to record insights from your faith journey. When you place your order, be sure to use the special 40% discount on your CSB purchase through LifeWay. Type CARD40 for your 40% discount with LifeWay. I can't think of a better thing to do than to pass along your understanding and love for God's Word to your family. Don't miss this opportunity to let your insights be heard for generations to come. Search for CSB Legacy Note-Taking Bible at csbible.com. Mike, earlier we talked about you teaching at The Cove, the Billy Graham Training Center in Asheville, North Carolina, and what a very special place it is. Part of that specialness is the people, isn't it? Yeah, and, and in my situation, uh, we have a, a lot of the same folks who come back, you know, uh, over and over again. In fact, I just played at the funeral uh, of a woman who was always there and uh, passed away. And oh. uh, yeah, and so it... it, it there really is a community that's being built out of that time there. And there, I mean, anybody who wants to drive all that way and hear somebody talk about Jesus for a week, that <laughs> that's sort your of kind week, of person. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that weeds out the people you don't want to hang out with. So, uh, yeah, I have, I have a wonderful time there. And like I said before, the, the staff, I mean, right down to the, the people that clean the rooms, mm -hmm. the, the cooks and the, every part about it is just, it's a great place to go hang out. Well, let's take our listeners there now. This was recorded at the Cove in the summer of 2021. Michael's series, Walking with Jesus. Let's talk about Galilee. First of all, uh, Galilee is a place of refuge. We see that from the very beginning of Matthew 2.22. I already referenced this when Joseph chooses it as a safe place to avoid Archelaus, who's a very dangerous person. In John 7, 1, Jesus chooses to stay in Galilee because the Jewish leaders are wanting to kill him, but we know he, later on he goes. In Matthew 4.21, uh, when Jesus hears that John has been arrested, where does he go? He goes back to Galilee, where it's safe. 
Uh, secondly, the ministry begins in Galilee. And, and Jesus' ministry begins as a solo ministry. He's teaching in the synagogues in Galilee. That's how he begins. He does not need their help, right? It's a privilege that the disciples are called to be a part of what he's doing, that he's invited them to be a part of what he's doing. But his ministry begins solo, Matthew 4.23, uh, a synagogue ministry of teaching and healing before any disciples are chosen. Three, Galilee is a part of Jesus' identity, both good and bad. Uh, there is the prophet of, uh, Jesus of Nazareth in Galilee, Matthew 21, 11. Uh, you aren't from Galilee too, are you? They, uh, the Pharisees retorted. The Pharisees say to Nicodemus. Um, and finally, Galilee is where they return after the resurrection. One of the first, if not the first words that he tells his disciples, uh, the message he sends to them is, meet me back in Galilee. So it almost, it, it wow, it gave me chill bumps. It, it, uh, it, it begins again where it all started, in Galilee. So I just want to en encourage you to, this, with this idea that uh, the Galilean-ness of Jesus is very, very important. The, the angel in the tomb says, he's going before you to Galilee, Matthew 28, 7, Mark 16, 7. Jesus uh, t says to Mary, tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And he meets them back there. Okay, so there's, you know, there's Galilee up there in the north. Let's talk a little bit about Judea down in the south. Um, Judeans, Galileans. Because of the temple, um, the Judeans see themselves as more observant than Galileans. Uh, early in Jesus' ministry, I think in Mark 7, we see an investigative group from Judea who come up to Galilee to check on what Jesus is doing. Okay? And they are Judeans. Let me read to you a quote from the Talmud. Uh, this is in Arabin 53b, if you want to look that up in your Talmud. And this, this, this reveals the, uh, the, the, the attitude of Judeans toward Galileans and making fun of the way they talk. Okay, if you're a Southerner, maybe you know that people sometimes make fun of the way we talk, although I can't imagine why. Okay. <laughs> This is what the Tal this is in the Talmud. You stupid Galilean. Do you want something to ride on? Hamar? Or something to drink? Hamar. So Hamar, Hamar. They don't make the difference. Or something for clothing? Amar. Or something for a sacrifice, sacrifice, Imar. Those words all sound alike, and apparently when a Galilean says them, you can't really tell the difference. Okay? Uh, and this is, I just discovered this today. I was working on this this morning. Often when they were in Judea, Galileans were so notorious for their mispronunciation that they were not called upon to read the Torah in the synagogue. Yeah, Gizefer Mess, who's a very famous Jewish scholar, says that. Okay? So that's interesting right? Is that just some interesting trivia? What does that mean? What does that mean? Uh, it means that Jesus and the 12 sounded simple and uneducated to Judean Jews. It also means that when he taught in Galilee, the people there would have heard him as a local, as one of their own. So let me talk a little bit about differences between Judea and Galilee. This comes from a scholar, Justin Taylor. Racially, it was different. They were different. Galilee is more mixed uh, due to the Assyrian conquest and then the 8th century BC. So they were not seen as pure as Judeans. Geographically, Judea is less fertile. It's largely a desert. I have a wonderful picture of kind of a helicopter shot of, of Jerusalem. You don't realize it. Jerusalem is in the middle of a huge desert. And it's, it's the moon. It's not just a desert. It's the moon. The Judean wilderness, I've never seen anything like it. And Jerusalem and the Dome of the Rock and all that stuff, those pictures that you see, you go a few miles in any direction and it's just unbelievable desert. But Galilee has the lake. 
and beautiful farms. And because of that, there was a lot of jealousy, uh, I think, of the Judeans towards uh, the Galileans. Um, sidebar, the, the Galilee, uh, the, the major flyway between Africa and Asia goes right over Galilee and the lake. And if you're ever there, you'll see every kind of bird you can possibly imagine. Flocks of pelicans. They're like B-52 bombers. You know, a flock of those. You know those little green parakeets that you used to pay like $80 for? Flocks of those. These little squawking parakeets. That's part of Jesus' world. My favorite, there's a bird that's called a wagtail. And it's, it is just what it sounds like. It's a little sparrow. And I've got a video of it on my phone. I'll show it if I can find it. And as they walk around, their tail does that when they stop. And when you see it, you go, that must be a wagtail. Okay? So uh, Galilee is beautiful and green. Judea is uh, essentially uh, a wasteland. Politically, they're separated. They're under two completely different administrations. Judea is ruled by a Roman prefect. Galilee is ruled by a quasi-Jewish tetrarch, still appointed by the Romans because the Romans are still in control. But they're politically, they're different. I mean, how are they the same is the question. Economically, Galilee has more wealth due to agriculture and fishing. Again, the Judeans envy this. Culturally, Judeans see themselves as more sophisticated. Um, the large cities in Galilee are dominated by Hellenism, and the Judeans look down their nose at that. Linguistically, I've already m- mentioned the uh, accent that Galileans have. Um, Judean language is more precise. Galileans speak with an accent that makes them sound uneducated. In fact, the scholars are now referring to it as Galilean Aramaic. It's not even the same kind of Aramaic. It's Galilean Aramaic. Religiously, you can guess, Judeans see Galileans as lax. One of the authors said, the title Messiah should not belong to anyone from Galilee. Right? Jesus was in the wrong place. He was in the wrong place. And here's another quote from the Talmud. Oh, Galilee, Galilee, you who hate the Torah, your end will come by oppressors. Giza Vermes says that Galilean is synonymous with a cursed, lawless rabble. And there's another, you know, talk about translators. They're, they're beginning to think that the term Galilean has those kind of connotations as much or more as it does a geographical location. You know, are you from Galilee too? You know, what that means is are you a rebel? Are you kind of a violent, rebellious person? Because that's, that's, uh, that's Galilean. Okay, have I beat that horse enough? It's a big deal, the nuances between uh, Galilee and... Uh, so that his world, uh, the places in his world. So let's talk about some of the people in Jesus' world. Um, the, the gospel names 40 people by name. Would you like to hear their names? I looked them all up. John the Baptist, Simon Peter, Andrew Thomas, James, son of Zebedee, John, Mary Magdala, Joanna, Susanna, Matthew, Philip, Bartholomew, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas, James the brother of Jesus, Joseph the brother of Jesus, Simon the brother of Jesus, Judas the brother of Jesus. He has a brother named Judas? Herod Antipas, Moses, Elijah, they are mentioned because they do show up. Simon the leper, Simon the Pharisee, Barabbas, Bartimaeus, Zacchaeus, Pilate, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, Salome, Joseph of Arimathea, Cleopas, Nathaniel, Malchus, Annas, Caiaphas, and Nicodemus. Forty people. And only five of those are women. Only five of those are women. Now there are 35 nameless people. I won't read all those to you, but you know, a Roman official, the widow of Nain, the blind man, the possessed man from Gadara, the woman with the issue of blood. So there are 35 more people. And what I want to do is look at uh, a a couple of these individuals, a couple of the people in Jesus' life. Okay? Here's a little sidebar. Uh, 
One of the earliest church historians, a, name, a man named Hegesippus, who is quoted by Eusebius. Eusebius was a collector of his church histories. And if you don't have a copy of Eusebius, there's some really nice ones. with. I've got one that's got some pictures in it and stuff, so it's not so complicated uh, to deal with. But Eusebius is a very important person that we need to know about. He, he wrote the, the, the church histories. And what they are is they're fragments of church histories. And one of those fragments, uh, and this is in book three of uh, the church histories, uh, talks about, uh, let me just let me read it. Hegesippus speaks of the grandsons of Jesus' brother, Judas, being rounded up. Have you heard this story? Okay. During the time of Domitian, Domitian is the emperor. Domitian is around 90 AD. Um, so they round up the, 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 the descendants of Jesus. These are the descendants that they can find. They're brought to Domitian, who had decided he was going to execute them all. We're going to get all of Jesus' relatives. We're going to kill them all. They showed him the calluses on their hands, and he concluded that they were simple peasant farmers, no threat to Rome, and he let them all go. Interesting. So even as late as 90, they're still hounding what relatives they can find of Jesus, and they're they're under the threat of uh, being killed. Uh, so I'm going to look at some of the individuals because we're the the you know the the world of Jesus, the places and the people. That's that's if you're taking notes, that's how we're, I'm writing a book. That's how I'm dividing the book up, just to let you know. And I thought one of the best sources of of people uh, in Jesus' life are uh, have to do with the uniqueness of the Gospel of John. Only John does this. Only John has Jesus talking with one person for a long time. None of the other gospels do that. And I refer to them as the intimate moments uh, in John. And, uh, you know, Jesus' talk with, Nic- uh, with Nathaniel is one of them. Uh, his talk with Nicodemus, we're going to look at that. Uh, the woman at the well. I mean, think of these stories. If it's Jesus talking with somebody for a long time, it's, it's John. Um, so I want to I look at uh, three of these. And the first one is Mary him, him, uh, in, in John 2. I love this story. This is the only window we have into Jesus' relationship with his mother. This is a precious little window of the two of them together. So I, I love this story. We didn't already look at this, did we? Okay, okay. On the third day, and if you go to Israel today, people only get married on Tuesday. That's the day you get married, okay? So Tuesday. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Now, a wedding in Judaism is a week-long celebration. Okay, this is party. If you don't have the right clothes, they give you clothes. This is a big deal, big deal. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. This is how my wife communicates with me. She doesn't say, I need to do something. She just tells me what the problem is. Now, we're tempted to roll our eyes and think of this as nagging. This is not nagging. This is a, a, a trusted relationship, right? My wife knows if she says there's a problem, she knows I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to do everything I can do to take care of it. And that's what we see here with Mary and Jesus. All she has to do is say there's a problem. But it's, but it's not that simple. They have no more wine. Why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. Now that sounds like a no to me. Does that sound like no to you? It's not no. And Mary knows that it's not no. Listen. She said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. See? That, this is the kind of relationship they have. She, she states the problem. He seems a little, I don't know, I wouldn't, don't want to say out of sorts. I don't want to think of Jesus as ever being out of sorts, but this is not my time, right? Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars. I'll show you a picture of these tomorrow. I have a picture of these from the high priest's house in uh, Jerusalem. Uh, nearby st- stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews, and that means Jews. That doesn't mean Judeans, I think. 
for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Now, I, I taught uh, Life of Jesus at, uh, for a Christian group at Vanderbilt University one time, and uh, one of the students did the math for me. I could never do this on my own. That's 180 gallons of wine. But he said, that's 900 fifths. As I understand it, a fifth is some sort of measure of alcohol. I don't really understand how this works, but okay, that's 900 fifths. And this kid said, you know, a a decent bottle of wine costs about $30. That's $27,000 worth of wine. I don't know if you like math. I, I think those numbers are interesting. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. Did you miss it? The miracle just happened. And this is what I call the unmiraculous miracles of Jesus. I'm not saying it's not a great miracle. What I'm saying is he does his miracles in such a way that he never draws attention to himself. You know, with one or two exceptions. With one or two exceptions. Yeah, this is an unmiraculous miracle. Okay, fill him up. Can I take it to him? Did you miss it? Miracle happened miracle happened. And nobody even knows it happened except the slaves. Uh, I I think the feeding of the 5,000 was like this because if you read those passages, there's no miracle language there. No one in the crowd is going, wow, where did all this food come from, right? There's no recognition. And and, uh, um, liberal scholars would say it wasn't a miracle because there's no miracle language. It's just that the example of the little boy inspired them and everyone shared their food. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not buying that. But, but if, we're, if we're talking about details, it's really interesting to me to note the way Jesus does his miracles. And, and, and the, here's the conclusion. This, I'll cry if I think about this long enough. When he does a miracle, no one ever praises him. They praise God, with one exception. When he calms the storm on the Sea of Galilee, the disciples worship him, and I get that, okay? But otherwise, he points away from himself and wins praise for God by the way he does his miracles. Now, that's important, and that's what, that's what comes from asking what the details mean. Okay, so draw some out take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet, this is just a guy that tells jokes to keep the party going. Don't, this is not complicated. Uh, I've heard complicated explanations of who the, the master of the three couches, that's literally what his name means, but don't get caught up in that. He, he's a joke teller. He keeps the, keeps the party going. So they took it to the master of the banquet who tasted the water that had been turned into wine. See, the miracle happened. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who drawn the water knew. So only they even knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside. Now, I won't take a bullet for this. I think the bridegroom's Nathaniel. Because we're going to meet him. Uh, or did we just meet him? Yeah, we just met him. We just met Nathaniel. So, and, and, and what's my academic reason for believing that? I really want it to be that way. There are people that will tell you that this is John, but John's too young. He's not getting married yet. Okay. So he called the bridegroom aside, and he says, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. Not last. Sometimes this is not translated correctly. You've, you've saved the best till last. God doesn't save the best till last. Do you know the idea of the sacrament of the present moment? Have you ever heard this idea? It's an old monastic idea. God always saves the best for right now, this moment. And why is that? Because this present moment is the only moment that we can be with him. He can be at all times, right? He's not bound by time. But you and I can only be right now. And so he, best, he saves the best for right now. And this is also another unique thing John does. John's the only gospel that whispers. He's uh, always explaining things to you. The other gospels don't do this. So it's not in NIV. It's not in parentheses. That's a, that's a translator's decision what to put in, because in the Greek there's no parentheses, right? So I do it this way. This, 
the first of his miraculous sign Jesus performed in Galilee, he thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. How does he reveal his glory? Through an unmiraculous miracle that not not everybody even recognized. song from Michael that brings us to the end of this session in the studio with Michael Card. If our time together has been used by the Lord to stir up some new ideas to consider, please take a moment and pass along your comments to us. Share the link with a friend or post a review of this podcast. And if you need more details about the resources we've talked about today, you'll find that at michaelcard.com. We're excited about the partnership with our sponsors at the Christian Standard Bible when you visit csbible.com. This month, we're featuring an important tool that will help you pass along your insights to your friends and family. When you visit csbible.com, search for the CSB Legacy Note-Taking Bible. In this leather-bound edition, you can use the generous margin space to record insights and stories and prayers from your faith journey. When you place your order, be sure to use the special 40% discount on your CSB purchase through LifeWay. Type CARD40 as one word in the promotion code for your 40% discount through LifeWay. The CSB Legacy Note-Taking Bible at csbible.com. We hope you'll join us again next week for another podcast. For Ron Davis and Susan Sermon and Lance Mansfield and our producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. We're all glad you've been part of this edition of In the Studio with Michael Card.